This is a sermon podcast from Ashland First United Methodist Church in Ashland, Oregon. Visit us online at ashlandmethodist.org for more sermons like this, church information, and how to get involved. Ashland Methodist, a community of open hearts, open minds, and open doors. We have been dipping into the Gospel of Thomas, and for those of you who may not have heard of this book before, it is not in our Bible. It was not chosen during the great um, uh, conferences of what uh, was considered to be the core of our holy text and what was not, and the book was lost. But it existed at the beginning of the church and was an important book. And when we discovered it again, I think 30 years ago, 40 years ago, it's been translated. And if you're interested in what the Gospel of Thomas has to say, there are copies in the narthex. It's a short book. It's a short read. And there's so much wisdom there. And there's a lot of stories in there that you will recognize from reading the Synoptic Gospels. So today is the last day of our summer theme. Over the summer, we took a lot of stories of lostness and wandering, and we delved into the story of Cain and Abel, and then the story of the woman with a lost coin. Woven through these stories, we brought in the story of the lost sheep. I'm going to miss him with his cute pink ears. And we have read these stories from a number of sources, from what the Bible itself offers through Matthew, Mark, Luke, Genesis, but also the stories and texts that surround our Bible, such as the Midrash and the Gospel of Thomas. All along, we look at what it means to be lost, recognizing these stories are huge and can be understood in so many different ways. What does it mean that one is lost? What does it mean for, to do something wrong and end up being lost yourself or feeling like you are wandering? What does it mean that Jesus tells us stories where it actually doesn't matter how lost you are or how sinful you are or how innocent you are or how valuable by society's eyes that you are? God seeks for you and wants all of us together at the banquet of the kingdom of God. And that's a pretty big deal. So today wraps up our stories of the lost by looking not far away at the life of the shepherd long ago. We spent a lot of time sort of jumping back into antiquity. But we are looking now into our human nature that we carry with us right now. We will be with us in 50 years, 100 years, 200 years. This ancient story that we read is about laborers in a vineyard. And it might tell us and help us to understand not just how we behave as Christians, but how we understand the kingdom of God right now. Imagine that we are the Pharisees. It is we who need this story more than anything. Or imagine that we are the poor ones, and we need to hear this good news of God. So today's story and our theme story has a coin at its center. In our coin story from August, we heard about the woman who lost a silver coin, a denarius. The value of that coin was a day's work for a laborer. This simple wage 
was enough to keep a small family or just one's self at bare subsistence. Simple food for the day and a simple place to sleep. Nothing fancy. Basically, this was our daily bread. And it centers on that coin, that one that the woman lost, that laborer's mother, that laborer's wife, that woman in the village. That coin has a basic value. And it was precious enough to this woman that she lights a lamp and sweeps the floor and digs her fingers into the cracks of the mud bricks, into the cracks of the stone floor and tamped earth to find that coin, that denarii, that daily bread. So today's stories, we look again at these coins and we encounter a story that's practical just like the story of the coin with the broom and the woman and the house and the dirt floor. This is a story of practical things too, set in the real world. Today's story of the laborers at the vineyard help us better understand the worth of that woman's coin. It gives us good practical advice as to how to live a good life in good community, as well as giving us a glimpse don't you love those glimpses into the kingdom of God? So, Matthew writes, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. After he agreed with the workers to play, pay them a denarian, he sent them out into his vineyard to work. Then, he went out around nine in the morning and saw others standing around the marketplace doing nothing. And he said to them, you also go out to the vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right. And they went again around noon and then again at three in the afternoon, he did the same thing. And around five in the afternoon, he went out and found others standing around and he said to them, why are you standing around here doing nothing all day long? And they said, well, nobody has hired us and he replied, well, you also go into the vineyard. So the story in Greek is full of everyday words about wages, payment, coinage, and hire. These aren't, uh, we don't have to guess what they are paid. Matthew actually tells us it's a denarian, a small silver coin emblazoned with the face of the latest Roman Empire and, uh, emperor and uses a kind of base survival wage. We get real world and a real scene. The head of households is a man of wealth enough that he owns a large vineyard and he can pay laborers to work in it. And in the morning, he goes down to the corner of town where those without a steady job, those hoping to be hired, hoping to eat today, collect together. The go-getters are there first in the early morning, ready to go. Their lunch is packed. And they are hired first. But the vineyard owner isn't satisfied with that. He keeps going back to the corner over and over again to see who else might have shown up and need work. Sure enough, there are more waiting at nine and noon and three and five and always there are more waiting and he hires all of them. All this lead up, the listeners in Jesus' day would be nodding their heads. If there was work to be done, of course, the head of the household would need to hire more hands for the work. Nothing odd is going on here, except maybe uh, the, the 
the listeners might have thought, well, this guy lives awfully close to the marketplace that he can just pop over there every half an hour or so. Finally, it is sundown, the end of the ancient workday, which ran about 12 hours from sunup to sunset. In fact, this was a workday for human beings in general for a long time until recently. The man tells his steward to gather the men together, and here comes the next bit of this story. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the workers and give them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and moving on finally to the first. Remember, parables are tricky. They're, when you listen to them, you are, as Thomas says, dismayed. The last ones first. Each of them received a denarian. And when they received it, the ones who were hired first, who when they saw the ones who were hired last got a denarian, thought for sure they'd get more for being better, for being best, for being there first, for, and they grumbled about this, having toiled 12 hours in the hot sun. And that's kind of a legit complaint, don't you think? Right? They complained against this. So, all right, so we had this story that seemed to be pretty normal. There was an overexcited landowner who had to keep going to the marketplace for some reason. But other than that, we have all these good workers hired. But now this little bit of weirdness has, um, has crept in. He's still kind of doing the right thing. He's paying everybody at sunset. That was what the law mandated because people are hungry. But how come those who came last got the same wage as those who were first? The very setting of the story makes this disparity all the more outrageous. The story isn't set in some wonderland of special wages. It's not a Disney princess story. This is real agriculture, real business, real hungry people tending the vines in a blistering hot day. The grumbling is real. The head of the vineyard addresses the grumbling directly. Here's where I hear the sound again of Jesus' voice telling the story. Jesus has said exactly, set us up. We are right where he wants us. And he says, the head of the vineyard says, but he replied to one of the group uh, who were first hired in the morning. And the head of the vineyard said, friend, I did you no wrong. Didn't I agree to pay you a denarian? Take what belongs to you and go. I want to give this one who was hired last the same as I give to you. Don't I have a right to do what I want with what belongs to me? Or are you resentful because I am generous? This, of course, is where the meat of the story is and the focus of a million sermons, and you might have heard a few of them, it's this first bit to make you bounce. It means two things. This word friend, tricky. On one hand, it really does mean, let's be friends. We're friends, I'm paying you. We're humans together in this world. But also means, are we friends? Because if you're gonna complain and moan, maybe that's not such a friendly thing. So using it here is a reminder that the first hire laborer has kind of set himself above and passed judgment on what the landowner is doing. 
A passing judgment is not the behavior of a friend. So will they stay friends? Well, that depends. The vineyard owner isn't done yet. The next verse trots out a phrase we don't use or understand in our English anymore. The King James Version of the Bible is the one that gets it right in English, while the newer Bibles will just say, are you resentful because I'm generous? The King James gives us a much more accurate translation of the Greek, ho ophthalmos su poneros. Is thine eye evil? Is thine eye evil because I am good? The landowner asks. This is an evil eye text right here in our Bible. To have the evil eye meant you had darkness in your heart and could in fact cast that darkness onto others as if a bad spirit leapt from your eye and onto them. People with the evil eye were filled with darkness, not light. They were greedy and money-centered. They were envious and resented anything they thought others got that they didn't. They were acquisitive, desiring to acquire things for themselves. Imagine somebody who fills their pockets bigger and bigger. And they didn't just want it all for themselves, but they actively hated and resented anyone that they thought had more than they did, and even more so if, in their opinion, that person didn't deserve it. We don't go by evil eye anymore, and that's a whole different sermon. I've offered that before. But it does speak to kind of a metaphor we understand, right? We've run into people who are grasping and jealous and resentful. They're actually, frankly, kind of hard to be around. And it can feel rotten afterwards. So, anyone listening to this story, a bunch of Pharisees, perhaps, would not doubt. They would be thinking a lot of the same things that the complaining laborers were thinking about. Hey, wait a minute, they would think. What an idiot! giving a full day's wage to a bunch of losers who haven't been working but an hour or two. Meanwhile, the worthy laborers, the good ones, the righteous ones, they have been good and deserve a lot better, right? That's so human to think that, right? I mean, let's admit it. We got a little Pharisee in there. What? The Pharisees are trying to figure it out. We have suddenly cast them into an upside-down world. And I saw this and couldn't help myself. Sir, I have had enough of your shenanigans, so I bid you good day. I said good day to you, sir. Right? Uh, so the canaries meme is good, but the Pharisees and pretty much anyone who really did think themselves way above this Jesus guy from Galilee might look a bit like an indignant weasel or an otter in this case. And the pain is real. Jesus is making it hard to like what he is talking about. They are inclined to nose in the air, turn tail, and march away. Or worse, <laughs> they are plotting against him. They ought or not do that, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> ba -dum -bum. Jesus is poking at his hearers. 
and gaining their indignation for a reason. He is trying to make a real life point. He's trying to bust through and it really doesn't seem fair. They were a bunch of people who worked in the fields and some put in a 12 hour day. They were the best, these first comers. They worked the hardest. They made the most value for the vineyard. They had been promised a day's wage. They put in a day's work. It just isn't fair that the latecomers, who were probably lazier and stupider, then sure enough did less work. It wasn't fair that they got paid the same. Yet Jesus says it is fair. Because Jesus' fairness is not based on the measuring standards of our world. That denarius, it's a day's wage. Remember, we established that. It doesn't buy much. It will feed a man for a day and find him a place to sleep that isn't the street. That's really all. But a day's wage when you don't have much, well, you're going to sweep the whole floor looking for it, aren't you? Here's the Lord's Prayer. We pray this prayer every day. There are verses from, these are the verses right out of Matthew. Notice the prayer asks for earth as it is in heaven, the last line of 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is not Uh, Then, okay, then you see, give us today our daily bread on 11. This is not a polite request. Oh, do you mind? Is it okay if, I know, I know I don't really deserve it and I shouldn't have any, but I'm kind of hungry a little bit. And would it be okay if I I had a day's, day's bread to eat? That's not this at all. This is an imperative. Give, give us today our daily bread. Give. Jesus is not messing around. This is something we can ask fully, unabashedly, unashamedly of our God because our God is honorable and does not set up a world where people go hungry. Okay. Everybody, when they came in, got something given to them. Has anybody lost it? This little tiny coin here. Do you still have it? Right? Is anybody going to admit to, oops, I'm not sure exactly where it is right now. Did anybody not get one? Wow. CJ, you're amazing. I was faithful. (laughs) May I introduce you to the landowner of the story? No, that is awesome. Okay, so... That's amazing. Okay, for those of you who may have lost it, but you're not really comfortable fessing up, imagine if this is your day's wage. This is your bread today. This is what you're going to eat today. This gets you a glass of milk and a bowl of cereal and a sandwich, and you don't have it. You're going to hope. Turn to your neighbor. Do you think this person will share and eat half today so you can have half? What if you just didn't get one? Do you deserve one? Should you get to eat? Do you think that the people that are sharing will share again with you? It becomes more important when you think about it that way, doesn't it? Our daily bread. This is part 
of why we say this prayer. This prayer is a collective prayer. We sometimes think about it, give me, Lord, this day, my daily bread. But it's not, it's, it's we, us, and our daily bread. This is a prayer for the whole culture to say together. And there's a requirement there. The rich cannot pray for the earth to be like heaven while withholding the full denarius, the wages people need to feed themselves and their families in a little shelter. The same goes for the first wage earners who were probably fairly poor. You cannot take from another person's mouth. This is our daily bread. And this world of the ancient times, like our world, didn't have a supply problem. They had a sharing problem. So Jesus knows this is hard to hear, and he set it up to be even harder to hear. But it goes even deeper than this. You ready for the deep dive? Kylie Snodgrass has written this huge book on parables, and I love him too, Larry. Joe, my goodness, it's just the best. So in this story, we go back to this, this question, are you resentful because I'm generous? Is your heart evil because my heart is good? And he points out that this is not an extravagant grace. This is just a day's wage. Nobody has been given any sort of Disneyland trip to Disneyland or not. All workers receive their wage. Even this guy, who probably couldn't at all do all the work or be as righteous as a Pharisee. And yet, when we pray, give us our daily bread, we're praying for him too. The fact is, because of our belief, our human belief that some of us are worth more than others, and because we like fairness, we have a pretty skewed idea of justice. And Snodgrass explains it like this. The only fact that causes the first hired workers to complain is that the comparison of their wage with those who were hired later. As with most humans, justice is in their eyes that no one else, not even the poor, should have an advantage. It's a very self-centered place. Or as my stepfather used to say, the phrase, that's not fair really means that's not fair to me. Jesus wants us to understand justice by the Lord's prayer standard, not by our earthly resentfulness standard. At its heart, though it does so many things, and we're just scratching the surface here, this parable is about discipleship. What should Christians do? And right front and center, we are being invited to reevaluate our natural inclination to say someone else deserves less than we do, less even than our daily bread. And if we can hear Jesus at work in this story, we really do have to reevaluate our hard-hearted assertion that anyone, even latecomers, deserve less than enough to eat every day. Jesus wants us to think up. Jesus wants us to be shocked at the earthly unfairness of this story and let our sense of justice be redefined. Snodgrass says this, justice is not some cold standard by which the poor are kept poor. We worry about justice, but too often we dress up as justice what is in reality jealousy. 
we use justice as a weapon to limit generosity. Crazy, right? It's not fair that they get as much as me. A lot to think about. So, can you stand another otter pick? Lighten it back up. The Pharisees are not happy at this point in the story. I think we can acknowledge that. This is the face I think you make when you smell something really awful, like their fate wafting up from Galilee. Woo, what is that smell? But in truth, I think there are more of us on the Pharisee side here sometimes. And the question is, can we surrender our worldly sense of unfairness to live in the good-hearted way of the kingdom of God. Because these parables are bad news for a lot of us who are raised on constant judgment about who is worthy and who is not. We have to let go of thinking about fairness in the worldly way. And until we do, this story won't feel like gospel. It won't feel like good news to us. But for those who are kept poor, for those who are told over and over again that they're undeserving and lazy and not worthy, well, for them, dance party. You ought to see my moves. I know, right? It's just too much. Yeah, yeah, I get it. But it's little wonder that um, this word of Thomas follows up Jesus's parables. Jesus says, according to Thomas, the one who seeks should not cease seeking until he finds. And when he finds, he will be dismayed. And when he is dismayed, he will be astonished. Is it really like that? And then he will be king overall. So, this great lesson arises around the smallest coin, a denarius, worth lifting up a prayer for, or shall we say, our daily prayer. Do we have the patience for one more little piece? Because my inner clock tells me we're pretty much done. What do we think? Okay, you talked me into it. When we first started this series, we pulled out a story from Thomas about the jar full of flour. Do you remember that? The woman with the jar. I'm going to read it again. The kingdom of the Father is like a woman who is carrying a jar filled with flour. And while she was walking on the way, very distant from home, the handle of the jar broke, and the flour leaked out on the path. But she did not know it. She had not noticed a problem. Then she reached the house. She put the jar down on the floor and found out it was empty. And I invited you to think about this. So let it kind of percolate in there. What could this mean? And I want to pull this a little bit more apart because... Well, I had some people ask me, what on earth was that even supposed to be about? So I'm going to read it again. The kingdom of the Father is like a woman who is carrying a jar filled with flour. While she was walking on the way very distant from home, the handle of the jar broke and the flour leaked out on the path, but she did not know it. She had not noticed a problem. When she reached her house, she put the jar down on the floor and found it empty. So how does this work? So the key to this parable is many things, but for today, the word problem, it catches us. For those who do not want to lose even a pinch of flour, the empty pot is a problem indeed. 
But for those of us who live our lives in generosity and giving, as John Wesley would say, giving all we can. If we arrive home to the house of God with the jar empty, we, like the woman, will have not noticed a problem. Right? Word for word there. Not noticed a problem. For we gave and we gained abundant life. Amen? Amen. Let us just have a quiet moment and then we'll sing our today.